Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of one of history's greatest preachers and hearing their greatest sermons? Picture yourself on an old wooden pew in Charles Spurgeon's London church. Great faith must have great trials. Or perched in a tree in the fields of a George Whitfield revival. Take care of your life, and the Lord will take care of your death. Or striding down the sawdust trail at a Billy Sunday prayer meeting. Christianity means a lot more than church membership. Whatever the scene, hearing these great sermons from the past will be as fitting to today's Christians as the day they were first preached. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Well, welcome back, Kelly. It's good, good to, to see you, Tim. Yeah. yeah. It's finally snowing, at least here where we are. Northern states. Yeah, in the northern states. And um, it makes me think, I believe when this show started, History's Greatest Sermons was about a year ago. Okay. And we've had a few uh, good, solid sermons under our belt. And it just made me think, maybe we should retouch on what exactly the show is about. Yeah. Why, why did a group of people sit together and think, you know what? History's Greatest Sermons. Let's broadcast sermons from 100, 150, 200 years ago. Yes. What was, the, what was the point? Why did we decide to do that? There was a lot to be said, and there was a lot said that we have not heard for a very long time. Yeah. And I think there's so much meat in the sermons of old. And it's not that necessarily they're all specious today. They're not. There's meat today, too. Yeah. However, I think that there's a, a simpler time and place, and it was easier to get a full meal of meat. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because they were so infrequent, maybe? Could be. It's too easy. I wonder if today it's too easy to get, well, if I want to hear a sermon about such and such, I can just look it up online. Yeah. Or if I want to hear, uh, you know, I've got my favorite my favorite preacher and you say, oh, is it your, the pastor at your church? No, it's some guy in Australia that, I, that I've never <laughs> met before. You know, it is so easy to get content today. Yeah, 10 to pick from, 12. Yeah. Uh, but back then, I mean, if someone had the gift and could preach and had a message, it was a, it was a different kind of effect that it had. And it is fascinating to me how many of those sermons from from not that long ago just apply 100% to today. Yes, truth is truth. Yeah. And the Lord's work in so many of the preacher's lives. How many times have we talked about the person who was speaking that day, this sermon that we're doing, and the difficulties that the Lord brought into his life yeah. that turned them from the path that they were on towards God? And it was the difficulties that drove them down and deep and they began preaching yeah. and came out with a ministry because the need was so great. That is fascinating. It, it is an interesting um, call when someone is in a profession or a career and God says, I want you moved out of this career. How many of them used to be, uh, what were they, professional baseball player turned preacher, uh, a lawyer turned pastor, uh, I don't know, doctors that are just like, no, this isn't for me. I need to go preach the gospel. Or just family fortunes. They, the family was well off and circumstances contrived to take away their fortune. Yes. Several of the people Several had that happen yeah. as well. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, another thing that I was thinking about was that, it, like I said, there's so, it's so easy to get any kind of spiritual content we want that oftentimes it waters down the content. Exactly. 
And this is not a criticism against any individual. I think it's just a criticism against our whole, the way our whole system uh, is set up. That if I want something to, to entertain me, even my spiritual needs, I can be entertained by it. And it's like, you have to dig harder to be challenged. And, you know, that's something that I find that these sermons of old have really challenged me because I hear a message that I've heard it before. I've heard the scriptures before, but the way that it's preached, it's almost like these are desperate times. Yes. And this, you know, like I said, 100, 200 years ago were desperate times. That that applies today. Yes. In in one of the devotionals that I read that was written about 100 years ago, it was a yeah. Spurgeon. And, and he describes the times that he was writing in as desperate and as uh, it just really felt like things were collapsing and our spiritual needs needed to be at the forefront, not the back end. And boy, does that feel true today. Yeah. The image in my head as we've been chatting for a couple of minutes is let's talk landscaping for just a minute. Sure. I don't know how many of our listeners have messed with landscaping, but at some point or other, most of us have had to work with building a retaining wall of some sort. Yeah. You can go out and find landscape materials anywhere. The thing of it is that five, 10 years from now, what do those look like? We discovered as we had this conversation, because we'd never done this before, that there is a huge difference in the the constituency of any given, let's call it a brick, a landscape bundle, because a lot of it's filled with sand. Interesting. And some of it is really well made. And the stuff that isn't well made, it's the salt and the wear and tear of life wear that down, and it becomes this bundle of gravel yeah. rather than anything pertaining. What happened anything. to my wall? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And and that is so true in our lives of prayer. I'm glad we'll be talking about prayer today. That's we right. are. That's right. And the issue is just sending up a one-off is fine. The Lord of the universe hears that. But if if you really are convicted of something and want something, I'm thinking of a life in my family that I am praying for. I can't just toss it up every day mm. and hope that what the Lord's purposes will be revealed. He can. He can choose to do that. But I need to sort of prostrate myself. I need to enter into my request as though I mean it. Yeah. I have to go find the best landscape brick I can find mm. if I want it to last, if I want it to be something. And And there is something about our spiritual disciplines that is more that. Do you mean it is almost there? Not really. I don't think God's saying, do you mean it? But I kind of wonder if we haven't just gotten really used to something that's cheap and easy. Yeah, cheap and easy. Well, and 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 streamed online twenty four seven. Yeah, um, your points about some of these uh, preachers of old had had gone through difficult times, yeah. and it shaped them. Yes. And of course, maybe we're we can still glean from that mm-hmm. because life has become very comfortable. And I'm not a a Luddite. I'm not going to say like, well, shame on technology. Honestly, there's so many blessings in our lives because of the ingenuity and creativity of godly people. Mm-hmm. I recognize that. Yes. But it has made life very comfortable. Yes. And it just like how we're drawn to maybe sports movies, how we're drawn to war movies, how we're drawn to those old Viking movies. We see people struggling through just the daily grind of survival. And we're, we, we know that somewhere deep inside, that's powerful stuff. It and is. then to hear sermons from those times where life was not comfortable, where you had to struggle and strive just to live and then hear the word of God preached, it is it, it reaches something deep yeah. inside us, manna. in my opinion. Manna, manna, manna. Yeah. Right. Lots of discomfort. Yeah. We could even call that 
a holy discomfort. Yes, yes. Spirit-led, dig down. We don't go unless we have need. So the Lord's showing us our need. We would love to hear stories, sermon ideas. We want to hear back from you. You can write to us at podcast at unshackled.org. Yeah, I'm thinking if there's uh, sermons or ministers that maybe we should revisit, Mm -hmm. people that we haven't heard from for centuries, Mm -hmm. if you have any recommendations or if you've got questions or if you've got feedback about a sermon you just heard, email us, please, podcast at unshackled.org. So today we're going to hear from Edward McKendry Bounds, usually called E.M. Bounds, and apparently he is the... Uh, the guru of prayer when it comes to uh, the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little bit about him. It's kind of interesting. He was born in 1835 in Missouri. After his father died, Edward went to California when he was only 14 years old. It's a long stretch. You know why? The gold rush. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Well, it didn't pan out. (laughs) Didn't. (laughs) Yeah, you got that. Anyway, he went back home to Missouri. He became a lawyer and he was the youngest lawyer in the state at 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Then... Uh, it's similar to a lot of the pastors that we hear from on History's Greatest Sermons, he decided being a lawyer was not for him, so he became ordained as a minister. And he was a minister probably 24, 25 years old. Okay. Now, he was anti-slavery. In the South? Yes. Wow. But because he lived there, Union soldiers moved in through wow. the course of the war, and they made all the citizens do two things. They wanted them to take an oath of allegiance to the Union, yes. which he, which he was kind of thought was odd, and pay a $500 bond. No. No one had $500. Okay, so of course they all get imprisoned or whatever. Um, And they imprisoned him as a Confederate sympathizer. Okay, then. Yeah. Now, when I first started looking up E.M. Bounds, I thought, oh, a lot of the articles and a lot of the biographies online especially are saying, oh, he was a Confederate chaplain. No. Yeah. He was anti-slavery, but he decided to stay a Confederate chaplain because he said, these soldiers need Jesus Christ just as much as anyone else. Yes. And he recognized that as his ministry. So that's fascinating. It's a wonder where prayer came from so strongly in his life. Okay. Um, after the war, he went back to Franklin, Tennessee, and he was determined to rebuild the town, mm-hmm. not just structurally and physically, but spiritually. One yes. of the first things he did was he gathered a group of men mm-hmm. and started prayer meetings, okay. regular prayer meetings that would last for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, fascinating backstory on the guy. He died in 1913. Wow. Just a hundred years ago. Yeah. Or so, right? Yeah, or so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So as he wrote and did his ministry and learned of things, he wrote it down. Yeah. And so if you want to learn more about the writings of E.M. Bounds, try The Reality of Prayer, Weapon of Prayer. Other titles include The Power Through Prayer, Purpose in Prayer, Essentials of Prayer, Necessity of Prayer, Possibilities of Prayer. Wow. Lots and lots of titles. No wonder that's a name that I have heard of. I know that name. So I would guess that pastors and ministers through the years, that's part of their collection. I sure hope so. I'm hoping it's their bread and butter, the beginning and Really good bread and butter becomes middle and end as well. Yeah. Because that's how prayer should be. Well, here is Edward McKendry Bounds and his sermon, Prayer Takes in the Whole Man. Prayer takes in the whole man. Prayer has to do with the entire man. Prayer takes in man in his whole being, mind, soul, and body. It takes the whole man to pray. And prayer affects the entire man in its gracious results. As the whole nature of man enters into prayer, so also all that belongs to man 
is the beneficiary of prayer. All of man receives benefits in prayer. The whole man must be given to God in praying. The largest results in praying come to him who gives himself, all of himself, all that belongs to himself, to God. This is the secret of full consecration, and this is a condition of successful praying, and the sort of praying which brings the largest fruits. The men of olden times who wrought well in prayer, who brought the largest things to pass, who moved God to do great things, were those who were entirely given over to God in their praying. God wants and must have all that there is in man in answering his prayers. He must have wholehearted men through whom to work out his purposes and plans concerning men. God must have men in their entirety. No double-minded man need apply. No vacillating man can be used. No man with a divided allegiance to God and the world and self can do the praying that is needed. Holiness is wholeness. And so God wants holy men, wholehearted and true for his service and for the work of praying. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the sort of men God wants for leaders of the host of Israel. And these are the kind out of which the praying class is formed. Man is a trinity in one. And yet man is neither a trinity nor a dual creature when he prays, but a unit. Man is one in all the essentials and acts and attitudes of piety. Soul, spirit, and body are to unite in all things pertaining to life and godliness. The body, first of all, engages in prayer since it assumes the praying attitude in prayer. Prostration of the body becomes us in praying, as well as prostration of the soul. The attitude of the body counts much in prayer, although it is true that the heart may be haughty and lifted up, and the mind listless and wandering and praying a mere form, even while the knees are bent in prayer. Daniel kneeled three times a day in prayer. Solomon kneeled in prayer at the dedication of the temple. Our Lord in Gethsemane prostrated himself in that memorable season of praying just before his betrayal. Where there is earnest and faithful praying, the body always takes on the form most suited to the state of the soul at the time. The body that far joins the soul in praying. The entire man must pray. The whole man, life, heart, temper, mind are in it. Each and all join in the prayer exercise. Doubt, double-mindedness, division of the affections are all foreign to the closet. Character and conduct undefiled, made whiter than snow, are mighty potencies and are the most seemly beauties for the closet hour and for the struggles of prayer. A loyal intellect must conspire and add the energy and fire of its undoubting and undivided faith to that kind of an hour, the hour of prayer. Necessarily, the mind enters into the praying. First of all, it takes thought to pray. The intellect teaches us we ought to pray. By serious thinking beforehand, the mind prepares itself for approaching a throne of grace. Thought goes before entrance into the closet and prepares the way for true praying. It considers what will be asked for in the closet hour. True praying does not leave to the inspiration of the hour what will be the requests of that hour. As praying is asking for something definite of God, so beforehand the thought arises, What shall I ask for at this hour? All vain and evil and frivolous thoughts are eliminated, 
and the mind is given over entirely to God, thinking of Him of what is needed and what has been received in the past. By every token, prayer and taking hold of the entire man does not leave out the mind. The very first step in prayer is a mental one. The disciples took that first step when they said unto Jesus at one time, Lord, teach us to pray. We must be taught through the intellect. And just in so far as the intellect is given up to God in prayer, will we be able to learn well and readily the lesson of prayer. Paul spreads the nature of prayer over the whole man. It must be so. It takes the whole man to embrace in its godlike sympathies the entire race of man, the sorrows, the sins, and the death of Adam's fallen race. It takes the whole man to run parallel with God's high and sublime will in saving mankind. It takes the whole man to stand with our Lord Jesus Christ as the one mediator between God and sinful man. This is the doctrine Paul teaches in his prayer directory in the second chapter of his first epistle to Timothy. Nowhere does it appear so clearly that it requires the entire man in all departments of his being to pray that in this teaching of Paul. It takes the whole man to pray till all the storms which agitate his soul are calmed to a great calm, till the stormy winds and waves cease as by a godlike spell. It takes the whole man to pray till cruel tyrants and unjust rulers are changed in their natures and lives, as well as in their governing qualities, or till they cease to rule. It requires the entire man in praying till high and proud and unspiritual ecclesiastics become gentle, lowly, and religious, till godliness and gravity bear rule in church and in state, in home and in business, in public, as well as in private life. It is man's business to pray. And it takes manly men to do it. It is godly business to pray, and it takes godly men to do it. And it is godly men who give over themselves entirely to prayer. Prayer is far-reaching in its influence and its gracious effects. It is intense and profound business which deals with God and His plans and purposes. And it takes whole-hearted men to do it. No half-hearted, half-brained, half-spirited effort will do for this serious, all-important, heavenly business. The whole heart, the whole brain, the whole spirit must be in the matter of praying, which is so mightily to affect the characters and destinies of men. The answer of Jesus to the scribe as to what was the first and greatest commandment was as follows. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. In one word, the entire man without reservation must love God. So it takes the same entire man to do the praying which God requires of men. All the powers of man must be engaged in it. God cannot tolerate a divided heart in the love he requires of men. Neither can he bear with a divided man in praying. In the 119th Psalm, the psalmist teaches this very truth in these words. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him with the whole heart. It takes whole-hearted men to keep God's commandments, and it demands the same sort of men to seek God. These are they who are counted blessed. Upon these whole-hearted ones, God's approval rests. Bringing the case closer home to himself, the psalmist makes this declaration as to his practice. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. 
And further on, giving us his prayer for a wise and understanding heart, he tells us his purposes concerning the keeping of God's law. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Just as it requires a whole heart given to God to gladly and fully obey God's commandments, so it takes a whole heart to do effectual praying. Because it requires the whole man to pray, praying is no easy task. Praying is far more than simply bending the knee and saying a few words by rote. Tis not enough to bend the knee and words of prayer to say. The heart must with the lips agree, or else we do not pray. Praying is no light and trifling exercise. While children should be taught early to pray, praying is no child's task. Prayer draws upon the whole nature of man. Prayer engages all the power of man's moral and spiritual nature. It is this which explains somewhat the praying of our Lord as described in Hebrews 5.7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. It only takes a moment's thought to see how such praying of our Lord drew mightily upon all the powers of his being and called into exercise every part of his nature. This is the praying which brings the soul close to God and which brings God down to earth. Body, soul, and spirit are taxed and brought under tribute to prayer. David Brainerd makes this recording of his praying. God enabled me to agonize in prayer till I was wet with perspiration, though in the shade and in a cool place. The Son of God in Gethsemane was in an agony of prayer, which engaged his whole being. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke twenty-two forty to 44 Here was praying which laid its hands on every part of our Lord's nature, which called forth all the powers of his soul, his mind, and his body. This was praying which took in the entire man. Paul was acquainted with this kind of praying. In writing to the Roman Christians, he urges them to pray with him after this fashion. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The words... Strive together with me tells of Paul's praying and how much he put into it. It is not a docile request, not a little thing. This sort of praying, this striving with me, it is of the nature of a great battle, a conflict to win, a great battle to be fought. The praying Christian as the soldier fights a life and death struggle. His honor, his immortality and eternal life are all in it. This is praying as the athlete struggles for the mastery and for the crown, and as he wrestles or runs a race. Everything depends on the strength he puts in it. Energy, ardor, swiftness, every power of his nature is in it. Every power is quickened and strained to its very utmost. Littleness, half-heartedness, weakness, and laziness are all absent. Just as it takes the whole man to pray successfully... So in turn, the whole man receives the benefits of such praying. 
as every part of man's complex being enters into true praying, so every part of that same nature receives blessings from God in answer to such praying. This kind of praying engages our undivided hearts, our full consent to be the Lord's, our whole desires. God sees to it that when the whole man prays, in turn, the whole man shall be blessed. His body takes in the good of praying, for much praying is done specifically for the body. Food and raiment, health and bodily vigor come in answer to praying. Clear mental action, right thinking, and enlightened understanding and safe reasoning powers come from praying. Divine guidance means God so moving and impressing the mind that we shall make wise and safe decisions. The meek will he guide in judgment. Many a praying preacher has been greatly helped just at this point. The unction of the Holy One, which comes upon the preacher, invigorates the mind, loosens up thought, and gives utterance. This is the explanation of former days when men of very limited education had such wonderful liberty of the Spirit in praying and in preaching. Their thoughts flowed as a stream of water. Their entire intellectual machinery felt the impulse of the Divine Spirit's gracious influences. And, of course, the soul receives large benefits in this sort of praying. Thousands can testify to this statement. So, we repeat that as the entire man comes into play in true, earnest, effectual praying, so the entire man, soul, mind, and body receives the benefits of prayer. That was Edward McHenry Bounds, portrayed by Mark Forrest. Tim, what are your initial thoughts as you listen to a sermon on prayer? I, you know what I heard most? What? The man thing. Uh, man's business to pray. He said, manly men do it. And I thought, <laughs> you know, we're so quick to be like, to, to erase that or soften that up and say, you know, he's talking about men and women. Yeah, we try to correct. And I'm like, you know what, though? We do need more men praying. That was the first thing I thought. Go mm-hmm. read any. You want some good pleasure pleasure reading? Mm-hmm. Read some stats on fatherless homes oh, yeah. or fatherless churches for that matter. Yeah. We do need manly men praying. That changes everything. Yeah, it does. When, when men fulfill the role that God has yeah. as the leader, as the father, I think of the kids in those settings who come to deeper faith and belief in God earlier because their dad was Christ to them. Yeah. That's our first image of who God the Father is. Yeah. Right? That that's that's kind of what that's what I heard. Because he kept referencing. I thought somebody out there is going to try to soften that up. And I just I wanted to encourage our Mm -hmm. listeners. You know what? Sometimes God does have calls for men. Mm -hmm. And I hope the men out there listening heard that call to pray. Which is no offshoot of or no give to women praying at all Mm. because so much of God's work is done. It's his people. Yeah. Yeah. However, in the way that he formed the family, it's supposed to be the picture of the relationship and the trust and the security that God is to us. Yeah. And I know I can I can see some people thinking, well, I mean, if I had very little resource, all I could do is pray. If I felt weak or if I, if I felt vulnerable, all I could do is pray. And then there's the tough guys. They're like, well, I mean, 
I'm a tough guy. I can figure it out. I, when, when I have resources or when I have the strength to do something, prayer is the last thing on my mind. And it's almost like we need to, we, we can't let that hubris get to us, you know. And Flip, when something happens and someone tells you, what can I do? And you think through your grid and you say or don't say meals, whatever. The thing of it is, when you really have need, what you ask people to do is pray. Yeah. And it's not the last thing. It's not the least thing. It is the most and the best thing. Yeah. But when we ask that, then we're really saying, and please do, please stop. Please really give yourself to prayer over this. And I'll tell you from personal experience, and more than once, a lifetime of similar things. When the people who are praying for me or for us do so, more happens. Because they go to the mat in a way that I am unwilling or can't. It's my job to say, God, whatever you want, as you will, so I will accept. It's my beloved's job to say, and make it this way. They, they go and they ask the shopping list mm. that I feel that I cannot always do. Now, it, I'm not saying I can't just ask God for anything, but when it really amounts to it, I have to give way to his will yeah. and give up mine. Yeah. My friends don't. <laughs> now, interesting, right? interesting perspective. Yes, and it's been true because I've seen the result. Something more happens and I'll say, and it's this. And a friend will go, I prayed for that. Hmm. And I'll go, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you have any thoughts and reactions to the sermon you heard today, don't forget to drop us an email at podcast at unshackled.org. That's a new email that we're plugging. So please remember it, podcast at unshackled.org. We'd love to hear from you. This has been History's Greatest Sermons, an unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more unshackled content, you can download our app. Get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of History's Greatest Sermons.